God, uh, as we just were singing, as Zach just prayed, God, we, we thank you for who you are, God. You are so holy, and we fall down before you. You are, the, you are so worthy. You are the lamb who is slain for us, God, and you are worthy, God, to be worshipped. And, and you, sacrifice for, you, you sacrifice yourself for us, and God, we're so forever grateful for that. And even now as we come before you and get into your word, I ask that you would just cleanse our hearts, Lord, that you cleanse our minds, God, from the day and, Lord, from the world and any filthiness, God, that may be there. Lord, may we have pure thoughts of you, God. And as we come into this passage, may we understand your love, God, and what you've done for us. So, Lord, I pray you bless your word. I pray for your anointing by your spirit. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the back corner of St. Joseph Catholic Church in Parks, Louisiana, hangs this round mural of the Last Supper. Now, it's not Leonardo da Vinci, right, uh, who painted the famous one, but it's a different one. It's round that an artist was uh, uh, hired to paint, and they hung it up there when they did a remodel of the church. But the interesting thing, if you... Get a ladder and put it up and look closely. You will see on the table, among well, the bread, the roasted lamb, the cup and all that, you'll see, you know what, a small bottle with a green and red label. And what is that? Well, if you live there in Louisiana, you know exactly what that is. It's a bottle of Tabasco. <laughs> Funny, Yes. Uh, the painter who was hired at, actually, um, at the request of the pastor, painted a little bottle of Tabasco on the table with Jesus and the disciples. I thought that was great. Now, I don't think that's really accurate to the Bible, you know, but the people at the company that's, that's uh, near the area there at Tabasco, they just love it. What if it was true? Well, then... Maybe Jesus actually loves Tabasco, right? No. <laughs> well, that would be a complete change in the Lord's table and in communion, right? But it, but we know it's not not true, not not really. Uh, tonight, we return to the study of the Book of Luke, and Jesus actually takes this this Passover meal, his last meal, really, before he is put upon the cross the next day. He takes this last supper, so to speak, and completely changes Passover into what we call communion today. Or we call it the Lord's table. Or we call it even the last supper. And that's the title of our message tonight. The last supper. The last supper. Now we're going to be studying Luke chapter 22 from verse 14 through 20. And there's three things we're going to see here, and, and it's really wrapping up into our points. And number one is the final Passover. Number two, the followed ceremony. And number three, the first communion. All right, we're going to get into this, learn this. We're going to learn about how the Last Supper really started, and it's right here in our passage. So, the Last Supper, number one, we're going to see that this is the final Passover. The final Passover. Now, if you're taking notes, we're going to be covering verses 14 through 16. 14 through 16. 
take a look here at verse 14 and 15. It reads here in Luke twenty-two fourteen, And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So we begin here now in our account by the writer Luke. And he writes that, well, the hour came. When the hour came. What hour is that? Well, it's the time for the Passover meal to start. That's what we're talking about. It's Thursday. It's after dark now. It's, it's that dinner time meal. And this is a special night, a special time, because this is the Passover meal. Remember last week, Jesus had sent Peter and John to go prepare for the meal by following some special instructions, right? They're to go to this place, follow the man carrying the pitcher, which is usually a woman. You can follow him to the house and ask the master, hey, the, the Lord wants to use your, 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 your room for the Passover. And the master of the house brings them up to the upper room and there, there Peter and John prepare the whole Passover meal. Now understand this, no one else knew where this meal would be for it was a secret since Judas, right? Judas had already made a deal with the chief priests and Pharisees to betray Jesus. So, the, so Jesus knowing that and knowing that this was a real special time. It's his last meal with the disciples. There's a lot of things he has to cover plus what we're going to learn and how he transformed Passover into communion. So there's a lot to do. And he did not want Judas to be to interrupt all this by bringing the temple police to arrest. That was done later. So picture Jesus now leading the other ten guys, right? Peter and John knew they're preparing everything. No one else knew but Jesus and, and those guys. So Jesus leads the other ten disciples to, as we call, the sovereignly arranged, yeah, the arrangement that God had made ahead of time to that sovereignly arranged place, the upper room. And I could just picture them winding through the streets of Jerusalem to that house, to that place with the upper room. And here's Jesus leading them with the disciples in tow, the other ten, to meet Peter and John there. So that's what is happening. They have come now to that place, they're in the upper room, and the hour has come. It was sunset, Thursday, and everyone we see there uh, was reclined at the table, including Jesus. So that's what we're reading here in verse 14. Here's Jesus. He's reclined at the table. To me, it was almost like, well, here's Jesus. He comes in and he sits down, but he's not sitting down. All this was the indication of the beginning of the Passover meal. But he doesn't sit down. They're all reclining at the table. What is that? Well, back then, the dining table was set very low, kind of like Japanese style, right? The cushions were right there next to the table. And what you would do is you basically, like, lay your arm on the, on, on the cushion. And you're sort of laying down with your feet behind you. Not like today we put our feet under us as we sit in a chair, but there they were more reclined. They're more like laying down, like like on, on their arms, sort of like this, and kind of laying down. And with the other hand, these men and these disciples, Jesus, they basically would be grabbing the food or the cup and, and dipping in the sauces. That that's how it was. That was the style back then. 
So that's why we read here that, that he, Jesus, reclined there at the table. And when he came in, when he reclined, this was really the beginning of the Passover meal. Now understand, the Passover meal would last for hours, and we're going to see that unfold before us, but uh, perhaps that's why you recline. Huh? <laughs> it was easier to, to, to be there for hours and hours. What a great way to eat. Well, notice here in verse 14 now, it says, And when the hour came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. So the disciples were with him. Now, technically, these 12 were called disciples. Disciple means learner or follower, and they were following Jesus. They were learning. Jesus was training them. Later on in the book of Acts, when Jesus rose again and ascended, uh, they became the apostles. They were the ones who went out and shared the message of Jesus Christ. And actually, apostles mean that. It means sent ones. It means ambassadors. So I think at the time of this writing, uh, which it, it's been about 30 years now, when Luke wrote this in 60 AD, it, it had been 30 years since Jesus' death and resurrection. All the things in the book of Acts had happened. And so these disciples were already known as apostles. So I think Luke calls them apostles here because everyone knows who the apostles are. They are these disciples as he writes this account of what happened that night. So, Jesus, kind of quote-unquote, sits down and officially begins the Passover meal with the disciples. But let me tell you, this is not like the other Passovers the disciples uh, had with Jesus in the past three years. Matter of fact, you know, all Jesus' life, he would celebrate Passover. Growing up, he celebrated Passover. But this one was completely different or going to be completely different than what had been going on all these years. Now look at verse 15. Jesus confirms this because he says to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So Jesus makes this announcement. Look, I I've, have earnestly desired this, to eat this very Passover right now. In the Greek, when he when uh, the the feeling of earnestly desired it it really shows very strong emotions in others jesus is like you know what i've been waiting for so long for this moment to come i've been waiting i mean i i i'm so happy it's here i mean i mean this this is a moment this is something that i've been really desiring to be with you guys to have this passover with you to eat this passover with you you know why? Because this particular Passover marks the last, the final official Passover of God. That's why. Why is that? Well, why is that the last Passover? Well, look what Jesus says at the end of verse 15. Before I suffer. Because Jesus is about to suffer and die on the cross for our sins. And that's going to change everything about this Passover meal and what it means in this celebration of that. See, this is why Jesus came, right? Jesus came to die on a cross, and he's about to do that. The very next day, this is Thursday on Friday by 9 o'clock, he's hanging on a cross. By the time 3 p.m. comes on the next day, he's dead. 
So this is why he came. We're right at the edge of his mission. This has been in plan for so long now that as they come to this moment, it's really going to come all together. And Jesus is going to show that he has come to fulfill his mission to die for our sins. You know, remember we learned last time, and most of you guys understand this, that the Passover commemorates when God delivered Israel from the bondage of Egypt, right? For 400 years, Israel was under Egypt, under bondage, cruel bondage. And then God raised up Moses. God used Moses to bring in the plagues upon the country. But it wasn't until the 10th plague, right, the 10 plagues, that Pharaoh finally let the people go. It was judgment on the nation. It was a judgment of the killing of every firstborn in Egypt. And then Pharaoh let the people go, let Israel go. And we know on that fateful night, on that night of judgment, the Jews before that sacrificed a lamb and then took the lamb's blood and and put it on the doorposts of their dwelling. And all the Jewish households were spared the judgment of that death angel going and killing the firstborn. So Passover, the angel passing over, that was very important to honor God. Remember, God told them in Exodus, hey, you guys got to commemorate this time. You got to remember this time and have this Passover meal, have celebrate Passover. But there was something else that God was showing the Israelites here. And, and this is very important for you to understand. First of all, and we'll put this on the screen, to be delivered from judgment requires death to pay for sin. You see, the Israelites weren't perfect either. But the, 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 the debt, right, of this lamb and its blood would take care of that judgment. So there's, there needs to be some, you know, a debt to deliver from judgment. And that really is the second thing. The debt can be the death of a substitute. That was the lamb sacrifice. So if you understand that, that the lamb died and its blood was spilled in place, yeah, of the Jews who weren't perfect either. And so judgment was placed upon the lamb. The lamb, the little lamb, took that judgment. So that was something God was giving forth here. Remember, the lamb had to be pure, no blemish like that. The substitute then had to be pure itself. So God was teaching the Israelites this thing about sin, judgment, about sacrifice and covering and the blood atoning. But there was a problem with this Old Testament system. Animal sacrifices weren't totally the answer. They, they'd only, basically, they had to do it every year, right? Mainly, they had to do it all the time to cover their sins. They wouldn't last. But what they did do, the animal sacrifices, they, they pointed to what the Messiah would come and do, what Jesus would come and do, what the perfect Son of God would do, and that is die for our sins. He would substitute himself. He is the lamb, basically, in Passover to die for our sins. 
So with that in mind, understanding what the Passover meal is, is about, what Passover is about, that's how incredible right, this moment is now. Why, why Jesus desired, why, why before the foundation of the world now, right? God had this in plan, and now we've come to this point. The time has come for everything to change. Jesus is the sacrifice that will be given once for all, not like the animal sacrifices. His one act will cover all the sins of every person in the world. What was planned before the foundation of the world is about to come to pass. So you see why Jesus is like, you know what, I I earnestly desire, with strong emotion, oh, I, I, I couldn't wait for this time to come to eat this Passover, this really final Passover with you guys. And then verse 16, Jesus says, For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus adds this. He says, I'm not going to partake or eat Passover again until the kingdom of God is fulfilled, until the fulfillment of his mission, until really this refers to the time of the millennium when God sets up his kingdom on the earth and when Israel, the saviors Israel, and all Gentiles who have believed are together in God's kingdom. That's the next time he's, he's going to partake of this meal. And take note. Jesus is also saying, you know what, this is not the end. Yeah, I'm going to go suffer. Yeah, I'm going to die. But you know what, that's not the end. Jesus, he's going to die, but he's going to rise again. And there will come a time when these disciples and all the saved will partake in Passover again with Jesus Christ. And when is that? When the salvation of God is complete. And what I mean is when when. Evil is done with. We've been talking about the end of this world as we know it. And the millennium comes on this earth. And God's kingdom is established and Jesus is ruling and reigning when our salvation is brought to that point. So this is the final Passover together with Jesus. That's what he's saying. And what Jesus is about to do is going to make way for all believers to, you know what, meet with Jesus in the millennial kingdom that's coming. You know what's interesting in Ezekiel 45, uh, verse 21 in the second part, talking about during the millennium, it says, You shall celebrate the feast of the Passover, and for seven days unleavened bread shall be eaten. Isn't that interesting? That there's, it, there seems to be, there's going to be a Passover time and celebration there. But that time, understand, it's not going to be looking back toward this what happened in Exodus, but it's going to look back at the cross of Christ. So, the, this final Passover may look to the past deliverance, but Jesus is about to accomplish an even greater deliverance. Think about that. So that's how it ties together, right? In Exodus, Passover, the, what they're celebrating or commemorating is that past deliverance from the bondage of Egypt, how God rescued and saved Israel. Well, actually, Jesus is about to accomplish an even greater deliverance, that he's going to free us, free people from their sins by his death and resurrection. And so the final Passover may look to the past deliverance, but Jesus is about to accomplish an even greater 
deliverance. That's what Jesus is bringing us into here, bringing the disciples into here. You know, a few months ago, I was reported that on March 3rd, Vitaly Shokin was honored at his funeral. He was a 25-year-old Ukrainian soldier who sacrificed his life by blowing himself on a bridge that uh, really stopped the Russian tanks from crossing over. I mean, I believe he, he saved many lives by his sacrifice. People honored him, you know, by getting on their knees. And, and then they, they, that was their way of honoring uh, Vitaly, this soldier who basically, they, this, the, his other soldiers, uh, soldier guys said that he just told others, you know, what, I'm going to go blow up the bridge. And before they could do anything, he had left. And all they heard was explosions. But he gave, he sacrificed his life to save the life of others. I think of how Jesus did the same for us. He knew, you know what, he was going to suffer, right? He said, he said um, isn't this amazing, verse 15, right? I desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He knew what was going to happen. He knew what was going to happen that night, the betrayal. He knew that the next day that he was going to die on the cross and he was going to fulfill his mission. He knew that he was going to suffer and die. And Jesus was still willing to do that. Jesus knew what was going to happen and went, went into it as his mission. He did it to deliver us, you guys, from death, from sin, to be able to save us from hell. He did that. You know, I think one of the greatest verses is when Jesus said, like in John 10, 17, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. Jesus willingly did that. He, 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 he wasn't forced. He wasn't like, oh, unfortunate things happen. No, Jesus willingly did that. And so we come into the Last Supper and Jesus introduces, really, that this is the final Passover. Now we come to number two, the followed ceremony. The followed ceremony. And here uh, is verse 17 and 18. Take a look at these two verses. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the wine vine until the kingdom of God comes and we'll stop there now at this point jesus takes the cup he prays he gives thanks and then he passes it over or he shares it divide means like he shares it among the disciples so the prayer the drinking of the cup really is is the beginning of the passover meal that's what luke is showing us here and then jesus reminds them again basically saying how important this moment is that this is the final Passover, that, that Jesus is saying, you know what, I'm not going to drink and do this again until really the millennium. And you know what I was thinking about? How about the disciples? I mean, we're, we're going slowly into it, and we, we could focus in on before I suffer, right? And we can focus in on, oh, uh, um, he's not going to eat of it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom, uh, he won't drink of the fruit or the wine, verse 18, you know, until the kingdom of God comes, until the millennium. I, I wonder, what about the disciples? It, it seems like it went over their heads. It went through one year and out the other. That They didn't get it. Jesus suffered, what? Until, what? 
I think Jesus was trying to get their attention, but it seemed like they're not getting it. I think they're focused in on too many things that we read in the other Gospels and some things that we will see uh, next, next time or so. Either way, this followed the ceremony. This, the followed ceremony, what, how you do Passover, was about to end. Now, let me go over this with you for a moment. And let me just give you an idea of what Jesus, the disciples here, what, what, what the ceremony was like that evening in this Passover meal, the final Passover. This is the followed ceremony. First of all, it would begin with a prayer of thanksgiving. And that's what we read here, don't we? Uh, verse 17, he took the cup and when he given thanks, right? He gave thanks. In the Passover meal, the first thing you do is you have a prayer of thanksgiving. You pray, you thank God for his deliverance, his protection, his goodness, his blessings. That was normally done. Then you take that cup. And this is the first cup. There's actually four cups in the Passover meal. The first cup of wine is actually called the cup of thanksgiving. And that's what we see in verse 17. So he took that cup, did a prayer, the cup of thanksgiving, and he thanked the Lord. Now, it's a cup of wine. Understand that back then it was diluted, like two to three to one or so. I mean, it's, it's watered down, especially in this Passover meal because, well, biblically, you know, even in the Old Testament that they were not to get drunk with wine, right? And so to make sure, it was diluted down, yeah. So the cup of thanksgiving was the first cup. Then after that is a ceremonial washing of hands. So you ceremonially clean your hands as a symbol of of coming to God, honoring God, and, and cleanse of your sin, so to speak. You know, in John chapter 13, uh, this is where Jesus actually started washing their feet. Then, number four, is the eating of bitter herbs. Now, eating the bitter herbs, it represents the bitterness of slavery that the Israelites uh, went through in the bondage of Egypt. And then they would eat uh, this bread dipped in a paste of fruit and nuts, this, this mixture of fruit and nuts. And a fruit and nuts paste, it represented the bricks and the mortar that they had to work with uh, uh, under the bondage of Egypt. So you, you're eating a bit of herbs, you're eating, um, dipping your bread in this paste, and then you would sing the first part of the halal or the hallelujahs, which is Psalm 113 and 114. So in the Passover meal, after the prayer, the first cup, and the washing of hands, and the eating of the bitter herbs and the bread, then you would sing Psalm 113 and 114. Then it comes to drinking the second cup. There's going to be four cups here. The second cup of wine is called the cup of plagues. So you, so you drink that. It, it's, it's what um, they, the Israel went through, but they uh, watch the Egyptians uh, uh, be uh, um, under the plagues that, that came. Now, after that, there's an explanation of the meaning of the Passover by the head of the family. So this is where, where Jesus would have done this traditionally in a Passover meal. Perhaps he did a lot of teaching maybe at this moment too after that because 
Uh, we know in John, like around John 13 or 16 or so, even John 17, he, he, he did a lot of teaching in that evening. It could have been around this time. And then the n- number nine here is the main meal, and that's where you eat the roasted sacrificial lamb and the unleavened bread, which you break and share. So uh, remember last week we saw how that the disciples probably took the lamb to the temple. It was sacrificed and, and, and basically barbecued, and then they take that back, and, and, and they would, uh, this is the time that they would eat that, the lamb. Uh, that was their meal, just as it was back in Exodus. And then here, the, the head would quote, actually, after that, Exodus 6.6, 6, the last part, and said, uh, from there, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Then they would eat the remainder of any unleavened bread and then drink the third cup of wine, this is the third cup, the cup of blessing. Now, we're going to see this in our next section, but I believe that right here what we're seeing, the eating the remainder of unleavened bread and drinking the third cup is when Jesus brought in communion. But this is the normal uh, way or what they would do in, the, in this ceremony of the Passover meal. After that, they would sing Psalm 115 through 118. They finish up that section of halal in the psalms and they would sing that and then they would close with drinking the fourth cup of wine the cup of consummation and then uh, what would be read is exodus 6 verse 7 the first part saying i will take you to be my people and i will be your god there is a thought that Perhaps when Jesus was saying here, like in verse 18, that I will not drink of the fruit of the wine until the kingdom of God comes, that perhaps in the millennium or when that first Passover, or it could be uh, that marriage supper of the Lamb, that perhaps that might be technically that fourth cup of wine, the cup of consummation, where Jesus will take his people to be his people and they will be, God will be their God. So an interesting Thought. But this is this is how the Passover meal went, and it would end. And so you can see that it was full of analogy and meaning. And no wonder if you really went through this, and if you think about Jesus even, the things that he talked to uh, the disciples about, taught them about. He did a long prayer in John 17. You can imagine why it took hours and hours. Yeah to finish this meal. But it was during this time where John 13 through 16 happened, John the prayer in John 17, and it was even during this time that after the main meal, Judas was released. Remember, uh, Jesus dipped the bread and gave it to him, exposed him to a couple of the disciples, and then Jesus released him. Uh, It was at that time that Judas was released. And I believe that was before this teaching of communion that we're going to see in the next part. So much happened in this Passover meal. But it was here that Jesus officially changes it. And it's here he's going to like like transform it. Taking what we've read here, he's going to kind of transform it, take it, take what it is and then change it and move it into what it's really pointed to all this time was Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. So, 
Jesus conducts the final Passover and officially inaugurates a new memorial. So that's what is being transformed here. He's starting to give, starting to go into the Passover meal. But he reminds them, hey, I'm not going to drink this until yeah, the kingdom of God comes. So Jesus conducts this final Passover, but then he officially, understand officially, this is Jesus, inaugurates a new memorial. John MacArthur said, Passover is instituted by God. If it is now to be eliminated, it must be eliminated by God. So understand, this is the Lord Jesus, God himself. Yeah, He's running through it, but then he's going to transform it here by the third cup. You know, that made me think about how we need to be sure to seek God in all things. Especially, yeah, in making decisions that will bring major changes in your life. Major changes that might affect your family or, or your marriage. or Just, you know, we need to make sure we go to God and let God be God, right? God is the only one who has authority to change a Passover into communion. Only Jesus can do that. Well, I was thinking in the same way. We got to let God make the changes in our life. He has the authority. Let God be the authority we live under. I mean, our life belongs to God anyway, doesn't it? I mean, we came to Christ and we we gave Him our heart. We said, here's my life. We sing that in worship. We bow down to Him and surrender our life, right, to Him. But sometimes we don't let God be that authority. And we just do what we like. And we make some major decisions without Him. And there's some consequences in that. So if you're making, you're, you're facing a major decision. Maybe there's some things coming up. You know, pray. Ask God. James tells us to, to pray for wisdom. And God will give you wisdom as we ask in faith. God's not like, well, <laughs> you just got to figure it out on your own. No. He has a plan for you. He has a purpose in the things he's doing. So he wants to guide you into those purposes, into this plan that he has. So we gotta let God be God. And even here in this transformation of the Passover, as we're learning here, God's the only one who could do it. God is official, he can officially stop Passover and say, No more Passover. Huh? Because he's God. So we got to let God be God in our lives and listen to Him and follow Him. Listen, the disciples weren't getting all of this, you know, that Jesus was saying. Why is that? They were really focused on themselves, you know. <laughs> Remember, I'm the greatest, yeah? They're focused, they're so proud. And, and, and so they're blind and deaf to, to actually how huge this was. So let's not be that same thing today in our lives. You know, even if you're hearing something like God said, well, you know, I'm going to end something here and start something different. Sometimes that's scary. Sometimes for us the end, uh, uh, it might even look like the end. Maybe it's not the end in our perspective. But whatever we face, let God handle it and let God guide you. I like what Corey Ten Boom said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. 
I love that. All right. So we've seen in this Last Supper, the final Passover, the followed ceremony. And now number three, our last heading, the First Communion. The First Communion. We go to verse 19 uh, and 20. It's gonna, we're going to cover those two verses. But first of all, verse 19, Luke 22, it says, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, Jesus took the bread, and I believe this is after eating the, the, the roasted sacrifice lamb, after quoting, think about this, after quoting Exodus 6, 6, Jesus quoting, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Can you imagine that? So at that moment, yeah, Jesus takes the, the next part of the Passover meal, the remainder of the unleavened bread, breaks it and gives it to the disciples to break and pass on so they shared that last piece of bread interesting the bread is actually called in the passover the bread of affliction isn't that interesting it's symbolic to israel's suffering in egypt so here's jesus he's transforming that bread to symbolize what will happen yeah to him, that he will be afflicted, that he will suffer. So notice he says that. He says in verse 19 again, this is my body which is given for you. In other words, I give my body to suffer, to be afflicted for your sins. Now, technically, his body was not Broken. None of his bones are broken. There's a prophecy was fulfilled in that. Uh, when the soldiers came, usually they break the legs of those who are hanging on the cross so that they, that they wouldn't be able to breathe, basically, because of the way they are hanging. And then they would die sooner. But when, when they got to Jesus, he was already dead. And they were surprised at that. So none of his bones was broken. Poetically, we, we may say, well, the bread is broken like, so Jesus' body was broken for us, or, or we mean it's been given over as a sacrifice. But technically, poetically, we could say, but technically, it wasn't even sometimes poetically. I may, I may even say that. But understand, you know, when he broke the bread, he was just breaking the bread. You know, there wasn't something huge in that. But it was just what they did in the Passover meal. But he did say now that this is my body. In other words, this represents my body, which is given for you, which is sacrifice for your sins. That that's really the the, the the gist of what Jesus is trying to say. Is is that when you take the bread, yeah, during communion, and you take the bread, and basically, well, um, when when we eat it, when we partake of it. We are honoring Jesus who gave his body as a sacrifice for our sins. And so Jesus is calling us to do that. He says in verse 19, he says, Do this at the end in remembrance of me. So do you understand what he's right then with that, this verse and that statement? He was completely saying, hey, there's no longer Passover. We're not commemorating yeah, what happened in Egypt. It is now 
a memorial to Jesus. So taking the bread now and the cup later is all about Jesus and his sacrifice. The, the, this is communion, what we call the Lord's table. The bread of, of affliction really is transformed now into the body of Christ. So the bread represents Christ who gave his body to be sacrificed for us. The bread becomes a memorial of, of what he did for us through his, his suffering, a symbol of the body of Jesus sacrificed for sin. Now, take note here. The bread does not actually transform into his body, as Catholic doctrine says in what they call transubstantiation. They say that the actual bread you take, uh, it miraculously changes into a part of the body of Christ and you eat, you're eating his body in a cup, you're drinking his blood. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying that at all. Jesus just used this as a symbol, uh, uh, as a memorial to his death, of his sacrifice. That's it. it, it, it that's all it is. I mean, I mean just, just like the food here, in the Passover was symbolic to what God did in Exodus. That, it just flows in that same way. You know, Jesus many times he said things as an analogy. It was figurative, right? Like, I am the vine. Yeah? You are the branches. Jesus isn't a plant. He's not a tree. He's not, you know, he, he's not a grapevine. Or he says, I am the cornerstone. Jesus isn't this rock guy, right? Or he says, I am the head of the body. He's not this bodiless head, you know, floating around. So this was what we, that was all symbolic, and so is this. This is symbolic, yeah? It's figurative. It really is just, represents Christ's body. So in this, the first communion, the bread represents Christ's body given over as a sacrifice for our sins. That's what he's putting out. That's what we need to understand. That's what's important here. That in communion, which will be, I think, in a couple weeks, partaking together on Sunday, that we, we will be uh, taking the bread as, as it represents Christ's body sacrificed for us, given for us. Yeah? It's a memorial. We're honoring God as we partake of that bread just as this passover meal yeah that the israelites uh uh took they had this meal and they would eat yeah in honoring what god had done in isaiah 53 5 it says but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. So I bring, put that verse in front of you to understand that Christ's body was given as a sacrifice for our sins, and understand he suffered what? For our sins, right? He took upon his body what? For what, what we deserve, the consequences of our sin, yeah? The penalty, death. And so... What is he talking about? This is the substitutionary death yeah, of Christ. Just like the lamb, what, yeah, uh, back in Exodus, took the judgment and died. Yeah, 
And the blood was put on the doorpost, and so the Jewish family was saved. When the same way Christ took upon him our sins, right? The judgment that we should receive, Christ received. He substituted in for us so that when we believe in him, we can be saved. So that's the bread. That's what Christ did. It all represents all of this. It represents Christ's body given over as a sacrifice for our sins. And in that sacrifice, it really is talking about the substitutionary death of Christ. All right, look at verse 20. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So Luke says, in in the same manner, likewise, just as he did with the bread now, uh, Jesus took the cup. And they drank the cup after they drank it, after they eaten it, basically. Uh, what, what he's saying, after he passed it around. And this is where I believe, this is the third cup of blessing that we talked about. After the bread, the unleavened bread, and now here's the cup. So at this moment where usually they, they do the cup of blessing, Jesus said, here's the blessing. <laughs> this is the blessing. He says, this cup now. That is poured out for you. What is he talking about? He's talking about his blood that was going to be shed on the cross for their sins. This is, this, is, this is the new covenant. Jesus transforms that cup to symbolize his blood that he shed. The cup that is poured out. His blood. He's saying, this is the beginning now of a new covenant. Think about that for a moment. The old covenant was from the Old Testament law, is now done. Now there's a new covenant, which is based not on the law or keeping the law. It's based on Christ's death. So His blood shed on the cross is now what atones for our sin. Not the blood of animals, not the old old way, not the Old Testament way, but the new way is now Christ Himself his blood, he sacrificed himself. He died on the cross. He, his blood cleanses us and makes us right before God. You can kind of say this. Jesus ate the lamb and then he became the lamb. Yeah, the lamb of God. Jesus basically now says, look, I'm the Passover lamb here. I shed my blood to deliver you from the judgment. I shed my blood so that you may be saved and made righteous. That you would, I, my blood would atone for your sins and you can be forgiven. This is huge, you guys. Verse 20, when he says, This cup that is poured out for you, my blood, it's the new covenant in my blood. It, 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 I, I'm bringing in a whole new way. Covenant is like an agreement, a contract, right? He's saying, I'm bringing in this new contract from the Old Testament. It's now new. This is how you can be saved. Understand how huge this is. He's saying that the Old Testament ceremonial law is ending. It's going to be done. It, 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 it has no, the, the law and, and trying to be saved through the law, it, it, it's done. You know what? This means that there's, no more rituals you need to do. Sacrifices at the temple you, you have to bring. No more following dietary laws. No more Sabbath laws. Matter of fact, the church, right, after Jesus' resurrection, what they began to meet when? 
Sunday morning, resurrection day, right? So you don't have to do the Sabbath. No longer have to do these things according to the law to be made right with God. The end of the old covenant, the, the old covenant ending, it, 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 it changed how you approach God. No more curtain. Yeah, the curtain was pulled down, ripped. Yeah, it's wide open now. No more like holy place, holiest holies, altars. No more uh, special priests to administer the sacrifices. No more needing all these implements and things. This is all, all, all done. Because Jesus is completely changing how one is able to approach God, to be forgiven by God, to be made righteous, to be saved. So our last point is this. In this, the first communion, the cup represents Christ's blood that was shed for the atonement for our sins. Isn't that great? Isn't this amazing? I mean, this is what communion is about. Take a, a, a turn over to, take a moment, turn over to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. In this parallel passage of um, what we're studying in Luke about the change of Passover, the final Passover into the first communion, uh, look at verse 28. Matthew adds this, and in, in, uh, Luke didn't put it in there, but Jesus also said this, verse 28, Matthew 26. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, and I love this, for the forgiveness of sins. So do you understand that we can be forgiven now through Christ Jesus? This is huge. No more having to follow law, maybe all oh, that will atone for sins. No more sacrifices, animals we bring. No, none of that. Now it's just coming to Christ believing in what he did on the cross. And that's what communion represents. In this first communion, the cup now that we drink, you know what? It represents Christ's blood. It's not his blood. But it represents the blood that was shed for the atonement for our sins. That's how huge this is. Yeah, No, no more these, this cup for the Passover and drinking that and honoring God and commemorating God. No, now it's commemorating Jesus. So you understand now, Jesus really is instituting now communion. Do this in remembrance of me, he said, right? Do this so that uh, you would honor me and remember as like a memorial, all that I've done for you. And it's important that we do that. It's important we, we, we partake in communion. That's why every first Sunday of the month we come to the Lord's table. We come to partake in communion. Now the Bible doesn't say that, well, you got to do them on Sunday, or you got to do it Wednesday, or you got to do it so many times a month. We, we just, here at this church, we chose to do it once a month on Sunday. But you could do it more if you want. Uh, some people like to do it every day. Some people do it with their families. You can even do it with your own family. You don't have to be a pastor or anything like that. You could do it just you and the Lord in honoring Him. The important thing is that we honor 
Jesus in this way. I think as human beings, we can forget. Yeah, We can take it for granted what Jesus has done. And so communion just brings us back to, wow, it was my sin that put him on the cross. It was my sin, not just the past, but, but the current sin or, or even future ones that Jesus died for. Many people are involved, yeah, in, in Christ's death and the order of events. I mean, Judas, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, Pilate, the Roman soldiers. But, you know, ultimately, it was our sin, right, that put him on the cross. But he wanted to save us. That was his mission. He, he, he had to do this to save us. So when we take communion, when we partake of it, when we come to the Lord's table, we're honoring Jesus and what he's done. I think about what Paul said in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you know what? You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You honor God. Yeah. You're proclaiming, this is what Jesus did for me to save me. This is how we're saved. This is how we can get to heaven. So I understand communion is very important. Communion is important to God. Jesus said, do this. It's one of the, the things, uh, along with water baptism, that Jesus said, hey, you, you got to do this. It's one of the things he asks us to do, to honor him. It's important for every one of us as believers to proclaim Jesus, to, 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 to really honor him, to say, to, to say, God, you did this, Lord. I give you thanks and worship and glory. And you know, ultimately it does proclaim his love, right? Ultimately, it's God's grace and mercy in it. It proclaims how much God loved us that he would sacrifice himself for us. I'll close with this. One communion Sunday, a 16-year-old girl turned her head to the side when the elements came by, and she motioned to the usher to take the cup away. It kind of seemed like she didn't feel worthy to take communion that morning. But the usher gently touched her shoulder to get her attention and lovingly said, Take it, daughter. It's for sinners. That's what it's about. When the disciples were there, they were all messed up. They were self-seeking. They were blind and deaf to what Jesus was saying. I think it wasn't until later that really, they really realized what was going on that night and how incredible change Jesus was making. And that's communion. It's for sinners. It's for the disciples. It's for you and I. Jesus changed Passover into communion to memorialize what he did for us on the cross. So I hope the next time we have communion in a few weeks, I think, (laughs) that you would come, show up, make an effort to honor Jesus. Because this is what it's all about. I hope you learned that today. It's all about the Last Supper. Let's pray. Lord God, as we study the last supper your last meal the last passover meal god the final one and how you follow this the ceremony god but then you transformed it into the first communion i'm just amazed at that 
Lord, how important this was, how amazing it is. And that's why today, as a church, we have communion. We go to the Lord's table. It's because of what you asked believers to do. And as right here in our passage today, how there is no Passover, no need for Passover, no need to, to uh, uh, ceremonial do Passover to honor you, God, on deliverance of Egypt through the, the, the Lamb, the blood of the Lamb. But now, God, is to honor you, Jesus, who died on the cross, for you're the Passover lamb for us today. We are saved by your blood. And so, Lord, we, we just bow before you, God. What a wonderful thing that you've done. What amazing love it is, Lord, that you would do this. God, I am just in awe of it all. And... I do cry, holy, holy, holy. I do exalt you. you, you Lord, you, it, words cannot say your amazing plan and how great this is and what you have done for us. So, Lord, I pray for anyone here right now who needs you tonight, who is realizing this for the first time. Maybe we all are. The depth, Lord, of this this study of, of what you did and how you transformed Passover. God, may it cause us to worship you, to, to appreciate you, to understand that you love us and what your sacrifice and your blood really mean to us. God, help us tonight. I pray for anyone who needs to know that, that that you love them, that you would touch them now. God, I pray for anyone who never accepted you, that right now they will cry out to you, believe in you, and accept what you've done for them in faith, on what you've done for them on the cross, and taking upon, Lord, your body, their sin, and that they would find forgiveness in you. I pray for anyone who's wandered away right now, God, that needs to come back to you, and even, Lord, your sacrifice and your blood that was shed will cover that sin. So I pray for people to recommit their lives to you right now. To stop living in the darkness. To stop letting Satan pull you around. Jesus wants to free you right now. Jesus wants to forgive you. And Jesus just wants to be there in your life. And I pray for that. So we all cry out to you right now, Lord. We need you so much. And we thank you, God, that you've done a great and wonderful work in your death and resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.